Hi, this is Joe. Welcome to the Celebrity Tribute uh, for a Sunday edition of it. Uh, today's Sunday edition, we are going to look at a unique individual, uh, an individual who is considered um, a killer amongst young women. And they've made some many movies, TV shows, whatnot about them, uh, as well as documentaries, that it's um, unbelievable that uh, his name keeps popping up all the time in the media. We're going to look at serial killer Ted Bundy. Now with a CBS report. Pensacola, Florida police are questioning a man they say may be one of the worst sex murderers of all time. We have a report from Bruce Hall. Police arrested this 31-year-old man after a high-speed chase Wednesday morning in Pensacola, Florida. He claimed to be a Florida State University law student, but now he has been positively identified as prison escapee Theodore Bundy, a suspect in the rape-murder cases of at least 36 young women in California, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, and Michigan. He is also on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And now actually we'll find some information about uh, this individual. Um, Let me hop on to Wikipedia and I will give you some info about him. His full name was Theodore Robert Bundy, born Cowell, November. 24th, 1946, uh, died in January 24th, 1989. He was American serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous young women and girls during the 1970s and possibly earlier. After more than a decade of denials, he confessed to 30 homicides co uh, committed in seven states between 1974 and 1978. His true Victim total is unknown and could be much higher. Bundy was regarded as a handsome and charismatic traits that he exploded to win the trust of victims and society. He would typically approach his victims in public places, Um, saying that he had some type of injury or disability or impersonating an authority figure before knocking them out unconscious, taking them to secondary locations to rape and um, strangle them. He sometimes revisited his victims, grooming and performing sexual acts. He dissipated at least 12 victims and kept some of the several heads 
as mementos in his apartment. Oh, my God. On a few occasions, he broke into dwellings at night and bulldunged his victims as they slept. Biographer Anne Rule described him as a sadetic psychopath who took pleasures from another human's pain and the control he had over his victims to the point of death and even after. He once described himself as the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'd ever meet. Attorney Polly Nelson, a member of his last defense team, agreed. Ted, she wrote, was the very definition of heartless evil. He was born Theodore Robert Cowell on November 24th, 1946 to Eleanor Louise Cowell. At the Elizabeth Lund home for unwed mothers in Burlington, Vermont. His father's identity has never been confirmed. By some accounts, his birth certificate assigns paternity to a salesman and Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. Though according to others, the father is listed as unknown. Louise, uh, the mother, claimed she had been seduced by a war veteran named Jack Worthington, who abandoned her soon after she became pregnant with Ted. Some family members expressed suspicious, suspicious that Bundy might have been fathered by Louise's own father, Samuel Cowell, but no maternal evidence has ever been cited to support this. For the first three years of his life, Bundy lived in the Philadelphia home of his maternal grandparents, Samuel, who raised him as their son to avoid the social stigma that accompanied birth outside of wedlock. Family, friends, and even young Ted were told that his grandparents were his parents and that his mother was his older sister. He eventually discovered the truth, although his recollections of the circumstance varied. He told a girlfriend that a cousin showed him a copy of his birth certificate after calling him a bastard. But he told bi uh, biographers Stephen McCauld and Hugh Ainsworth that he found the certificate himself. Biographer and true crime writer Anne Rule, who knew Bundy personally, believed that he did not find out until the year 1969 when he located his original birth record in Vermont. Bundy expressed a lifelong resentment toward his mother for never talking to him about his real father and for leaving him to discover his true percentage for himself. 
Some interviews, Bundy spoke warmly of his grandparents and told Rule that he identified with, respected, and clung to his grandfather. In 1987, however, he and other family members told attorneys that Samuel Cowell was a triangle bully and a bigot who hated black, Italians, Catholics, and Jews. Said these descriptions of Bundy's grandparents have been questioned in more recent investigations. After graduating from high school in 1965, Bundy attended the University of Puget Sound, known as UPS, uh, which is a private university affiliated with the United Methodist Church and located in Tacoma, Washington. Nineteen sixty seven he became romantically involved with a UW classmate who was identified by several uh, people in Bundy's biographies, most commonly Stephanie Brooks. In early nineteen sixty eight he dropped out of college and worked at a series of minimum wage jobs. He also volunteered at the Seattle office of Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign and became Arthur Fletcher's driver and bodyguard during Fletcher's campaign for a lieutenant governor of Washington State. Said August Bundy attended the 1968 Republican National Convention in Miami as a Rockefeller delegate. Shortly thereafter, Brooks ended their relationship and returned to her family home in California, frustrated by what she describes Bundy's immaturity and lack of ambition. Said Bundy was back in Washington by the fall of 1969 when he met Elizabeth uh, Klopfer, identified in Bundy's literature as Meg Anders, Beth Archer, or Liz Kendall, a divorcee from Utah who worked as a secretary at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Their stormy relationship will continue well past his initial incarnate in Utah in the year 1976. In the mid-1970s, Bundy now focused and goal-oriented re-enrolled at UW his time as a psychology major. He became an honor student and was well-regarded by his professors. 1971, he took a job at Seattle Suicide Hotline Crisis Center. There, he met and worked alongside Ann Rule, former Seattle police officer and aspiring crime writer, 
will later write one of the definitive Bundy biographies titled The Stranger Beside Me. Rue saw nothing disturbing in Bundy's personality at the time. She described him as a kind uh, and empathetic. This is after graduating from UW in 1972, Bundy joined Governor Daniel J. Evans' re-election campaign. Posing as a college student, he shallowed Evans' opponent, former Governor Albert Rossellini, and recorded his stump speeches for analysts by Evans' team. Evans appointed Bundy to the Seattle Crime Prevention Avatory Committee. After Evans was re-elected, Bundy was hired as an assistant to Ross Davis, chairman of the Washington State Republican Party. Davis thought well of Bundy and described him as a smart, aggressive, and a believer in the system. During a trip to California on, on the Republican Party business in the summer 1973, Bundy rekindled his relationship with Brooks. She marveled at his transformation into a serious, dedicated professional, seemingly on the cusp of a significant legal and political career. He continued to date Coplifer as well. Neither woman was aware of the other's uh, existence. In the fall of 1973, Bundy uh, continued at UPS Law School and continued Courtin Brooks, who flew to Seattle several times to stay with him. They discussed marriage at one point he introduced her to Davis as his fiance. January 1974, however, he abruptly broke off contact. Her phone calls and letters uh, went unreturned. Finally reaching him by phone, a month later, Brooks demanded to know why Bundy had ended their relationship without explanation. In a flat, calm voice, he replied, Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean, and hung up. She never heard from him again. He later explained, I just wanted to prove myself that I could have married her. But Brooks concluded in retrospect that he had deliberately planned the entire courtship and rejection in advance as vagants for the breakup she initiated in the year 1968. By then, Bundy had begun skipping classes at law school. By April, he had stopped attending entirely as young women began to disappear in the Pacific Northwest. So looking at the first, I guess, incident, under Wikipedia, first 
two series of murders, there's no consciousness of when or where Bundy began killing women. He told different stories to different people and refused to divulge the specifics of his earlier crimes, even as he confessed in graphic detail to dozens of later murderers in the days preceding his execution. He told uh, Nelson that he attended his first kidnapping in the year 1969 in Ocean State, New Jersey, but did not kill anyone until sometime in the year 1971 in Seattle. He told psychologist Art Norm that he killed two women in Atlantic City in 1969 while visiting family in Philadelphia. It says, by August 16th, 1975, Bundy was arrested by Utah Highway Patrol Officer Bob Hayward in Grander, uh, another Salt Lake City suburb. Hayward observed Bundy cruising a residential area in the pre-dawn hours and fleeing at high speed after seeing the patrol car. Hayward noticed that the Volkswagen front passenger seat had been removed placed on the rear seats and searched the car. He found a ski mask, a second mask fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pack, and other items initially assumed to be burglary tools. Bundy explained that the ski mask was for skiing. He had found the handcuffs in the dumpster, and the rest were common household items. However, Detective Jerry Thompson remembered a similar suspect and car description from the November 1974 Durant kidnapping, and Bundy's name from Kopfer's December 1974 phone call. In a search of Bundy's apartment, police found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark by the Wildwood Inn and a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play Blountiful, where Deborah Kent had disappeared. Escapes. In June 7, 1977, Bundy was transported 40 miles from the Garfield Country Jail in Glenwood Springs to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a preliminary hearing. He had elected to serve as his own attorney and as such was execute, uh, sorry, was excused by the judge from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles. Due to the fact that he, I think, went to school for law was his 
way of saying he's going to uh, defend himself, <laughs> which is very interesting. <laughs> you probably don't see that a lot today, but with crimes and victims of crimes. During a recess, he asked to visit the courthouse law library to search his case. While shielded from his guard's view behind a bookcase, he opened a window and jumped to the ground from the second story, injuring his right ankle as he landed. After shedding an outer layer of clothing, he walked through Aspen as roadblocks were being set up on the outskirts, then hiked southward into Aspen Mountains. Near his summit, he broke into a hunting cabin and stole food, clothing, and a rifle. The following day, he left the cabin and continued south toward the town of Crested Blut, but became lost in the forest. For two days, he wandered aimlessly on the mountain, missing two trails that led downward to his intended destination. For two days, he wandered aimlessly on the mountain, missing two trails that led downward to his oh, intended destination. Actually, I just mentioned that. Uh, on June 10th, he broke into a camping trailer on Maroon Lake, 10 miles south of Aspen, uh, taking food and ski parka, but instead of continuing southward, he walked back north toward Aspen, eluding roadblocks and search parties along the way. Now he's a fugitive. Said he had been a fugitive for six days. In the uh, car were maps of the mountain area around Aspen had uh, prosecutors were using to demonstrate the location of Karen Campo's body. As his own attorney, Bundy had rights of discovery, indicating that his escape was not a spontaneous act, but had been planned. Back in jail in Glenwood Springs, Bundy ignored the advice of friends and legal advisors to stay put. Under death row, confessions and execution, shortly after the confusion of the Leach trial and the beginning of the long appeals process that followed, Bundy initiated a series of interviews with Stephen McCold and Hugh Amesworth, speaking mostly in third person to avoid the stigma of confusion. He began for the first time to divulge details of his crime and thought processes.
and um, says here, the night before his execution, Bundy confessed to 30, homicide, 30 homicides, but the true total remains unknown. Uh, published estimates have run as high as 100 or even more, and Bundy occasionally made cryptic comments to encourage that speculation. He told Hugh Ainsworth in a 1980 that for every murder publicized, there could be one that was not. When FBI agents proposed a total tally of 36, Bundy responded, add one digit to that and you'll have it. Years later, he told attorney Polly Nelson that the common estimate of 35 was uh, accurate. But Robert Kempel wrote that Ted and I both knew the total and, uh, and was much higher. I don't think even he knew how many he killed or, or why he killed them, says Reverend Fred Lawrence, the Methodist clergyman who administrated Bundy's last rites. That was my impression, my strong impression. On the evening before his execution, Bundy reviewed his victim's tally with Bill Hagmeyer on a state-by-state -state basis for a total of 30 homicides. Artifacts. Um, Bundy's 1968 Volkswagen Beetle was displayed in the lobby of the National Museum of Crime and Punishment in Washington, D.C. until its closure in 2015. It's presently on exhibit at the Alcatraz East Crime Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It says a ski mask rope flashlight Handcuffs, gloves, and nylon masks were all found in Bundy's 1968 Volkswagen Beetle glove compartment. It also specifies here on Wikipedia books and films pertaining to Ted Bundy. I mean, there were so many of them. Um, a book, one that was written uh, by... Anne Rule, The Stranger Beside Me. Another one in the year 1981 by Elizabeth Kendall, The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. And I guess the latest one was done by Polly Nelson, Defending the Devil, My Story as Ted Bundy's Last Lawyer. The year 1986, a film titled The Deliberate Stranger um, was made and uh, it was, 
is said is a book and television film about American serial killer Ted Bundy. And it portrays Mark Harmon, the actor, portraying a Ted Bundy. He's a very well-known actor. Uh, Thomas Mark Harmon, born September 2nd, 1951, still alive today, is American actor, producer, director, voice actor, and former football player. He's best known for playing lead role of Leroy Jethro Gibbs in NCIS. He also has appeared in a variety of roles since the early 70s. Initially a college football player, his role on Saint Elsewhere led him to being named the sexiest man alive by People magazine in the year 1986. Interesting, he portrayed a uh, Ted Bundy a serial killer, and then went on to NCIS as a, a cop. <laughs> and um, the most, I guess, recent film, I guess, that was uh, um, I guess made was called No Man of God um, and uh, again a film about Ted Bundy No Man God is a 2021 American crime Film directed by Amber Seeley and written by C. Robert Cargill under the um, Poseidon of Lit Lesser. The film stars Elijah Wood, Luke Kirby, Aleka Polidino, and Robert Patrick. Is based on the real-life transcripts selected from the conversations between serial killer Ted Bundy and FBI Special Agent Bill McNeener that happened between the years of 1984 and 1989. Luke Kirby portrays as um, Ted Bundy his full name is Luke Farrell Kirby, born June 29, 1978. He is American-Canadian screen stage actor. In 2019, he won a Primetime Emmy Award for his guest role as Lenny Bruce on the television series The Marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel. And Elijah Wood, portrayed as Bill Hagmeyer, as his lawyer. Um, Elijah Wood, born January 28, 1981, is American actor and producer. He's best known for his portrayal of Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings film trilogy and The Hobbit. 
An Unexpected Journey from 2012. Actually, I did actually see that movie, No Man of God. Uh, it was interesting. Um, uh, amongst the other documentaries and movies, I guess I've seen about Ted Bundy. Although I have not seen the film with um, Mark uh, Harmon in it. Um from the year 1986. And uh, there were also television uh, I guess uh, documentaries about him. Uh, the latest is Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer. It's an Amazon Prime video documentary series as well as Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes, a Netflix documentary series from 2019. There was also a song done by Jane's Addiction, the song Ted Just Admit It, which I don't think I've ever heard. Uh, it was by the group Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction is American rock band from Los Angeles, uh, formed in the year 1985. The band consists of vocalist Perry Farrow, guitarist Dave Demnaro, drummer Stephen Perkins, and bassist Chris Chaney. Interesting info. And again, for the celebrity tribute, that is some uh, information about this uh Killer, um, Ted Bundy. And now, um, I like to do a little mini tribute on an SNL, uh, comedian who just recently, uh, passed away, um, We're going to look at um, uh, Norm McDonald, who used to do the uh, newscasts on SNL. Let's take a look. At the late Norm McDonald. To nine hundred and fifty thousand nerds. There's good news this week from strife-torn Ireland, where a historic peace agreement has just been signed. Gee, I wonder if anyone will celebrate by drinking. <laughs> Angry over the Atlanta Braves and Cleveland Indians' use of Indian caricatures as logos, Native Americans showed up at the World Series tonight. They chanted for hours to protest Indian stereotypes. 
No, it didn't help their cause any when it uh, started to rain. Uh, a little bit there on Norm McDonald. We'll find out some information about him for the celebrity tribute. Uh, he was born uh, Norman G. McDonald on August 17, 1959. Passed away uh, this month on September 14, 2021. He was a Canadian stand-up comedian, writer, and actor best known for his deadpan style. Uh, deadpan pertained to dry humor or dry wit humor. Uh, earlier in, the, in his career, he wrote the sitcom for Roseanne. 1993, McDonald was hired as a writer and cast member on Saturday Night Live spending a total of five seasons on the show, which include anchoring the show's uh, weekend update segment for three and a half seasons, during which time he also made guest appearances on such shows as the Drew Carey Show and News Radio. After leaving SNL, he wrote and starred in the 1998 film Dirty Work, and headed his own sitcom, The Norm Show, from 1991 to 2001. The Norm Show is an American television sitcom that ran on ABC from March 1999 to April 2001. Starring in September 1999, the show's title was shortened to Norm. The series started Norm MacDonald, who created the series... Bruce Helford. McDonough was born on October 17, 1959. He was raised in Quebec City, Canada. His parents, uh, Fernine and Percy Lloyd McDonald, were both teachers. They worked at CFB Val Carter, a military base north of Quebec City. McDonald's father died in 1990 of heart disease. He had an older brother, Neil McDonald, who is a journalist with CBC News and is married to Joyce Napier, a journalist with CTV News, and a younger brother named Leslie. He attended Quebec High School and later Gloucester High School in Ottawa. McDonald's first performance in comedy were stand-up clubs in Ottawa, regularly appearing on amateur nights as Uke Uke in the year 1985, which is a national comedy club chain in Canada, founded by former stand-up comedian uh, Mark Brenslin, and it was established in 1976.
So that's some interesting info there on um, the late actor Norm Macdonald, an old-time SNL who just recently passed away. That will do it for today's Celebrity Tribute. And uh, this is the second podcast that I've done. Uh, and I'm going to hope to continue with doing the podcast if as long as everything goes well, whatnot with me doing them. Uh, it's It takes a little while to figure out how to uh, upload it, but I have kind of mastered that, uh, whatnot. Uh, again, it will be a little bit uh, uh, better for me than doing live videos, but not saying I won't do a live video again. And hopefully you'll be able to hear it at your leisure time. That will do it for uh, today's Sunday edition live video. And um, I hope to see you next time for another podcast. Take care and have a good Sunday.